Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle. I'm Elliot Dacker. It is now time for Why It Matters. You know, anyone can write code that a computer can understand. Good programmers write code that humans can understand. Have you heard that saying before? Well, as the year draws to a close, it's a good time to consider where the different technologies are going. And, you know, what we can expect, not just next year, but of course in the years to come where all this is heading, right? And coding, which has classically been defined as a process of creating computer programs or programming, has come a long way since its inception. So have you ever considered where the world of code is going and how the industry sees coding, how it compares to how the education world sees coding and how both are likely to change in the coming years. Lots of questions on the line with me this morning is Thomas Domke, who is the CEO of GitHub. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be in Singapore. Ah, very nice. And I'm quite excited to talk about coding because it's something I can never get the hang of. Quite interesting how it's really advancing. But first, let's talk about GitHub, all right? You guys, of course, an open source software development uh, platform acquired by Microsoft. Tell us a little bit more about GitHub. What what does Git mean in GitHub? <laughs> yeah, GitHub was founded um, 15 years ago. We actually had our 15-year anniversary earlier this year. And GitHub is a, a website, if you will, um, to store your source code um, and to you know, have your source code stored in a way where you can go back in time and then roll back to a previous version or just collaborate with other developers. Um, a tool like uh, called Git was invented um, actually by the same creator that also um, um, built Linux. Um, uh, his name is Linus Torvalds. Mm-hmm. And so GitHub is a platform that lets people store their Git repositories. Uh, this is how we call basically the file folder uh, that stores, or stores all the code. And, um, you know, 15 years later, now GitHub not only offers you these repositories, but really everything around the developer lifecycle that a developer needs for their day-to-day job. I feel a little bit more trendy understanding where the Git comes from. You're in Singapore now. Tell us a little bit about the company's presence in the region and here in Singapore. Yeah, we're really excited about the APEC market, and obviously uh, Singapore is a, is a big hub for, for APEC in general, and even more so for the tech industry, for many startups. And so I'm here this week um, to meet with customers, um, to meet with startups, to just learn from them um, how they are seeing the current world, where software is you know, eating the world, as we say, uh, and talk with you. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually quite curious with you, because... You've got a journey, right, from a developer to becoming the CEO of GitHub. Tell us your personal story there. Yes, I was actually born in Berlin, East Germany, uh, in the late 70s. And I grew up, you know, as a kid behind the wall. And then the wall fell. And, you know, a world of computers opened up to me. So I bought a Commodore 64. And uh, ever since, I got hooked on on software development and, you know, through my journey at at university and then working for the car industry for Mercedes and and Bosch on the supplier side, I ultimately landed up at Microsoft um, uh, running developer tools, um, running a subdivision of the developer tools division uh, and as such you know i got involved into the deal uh, when we acquired github four years ago and through my journey as a developer you know through my journey of talking with many developers and understanding them i ultimately ended up as the github ceo a year ago wow I, okay i, I gotta <laughs> ask this question did, did you teach yourself to code then 
Yeah, you know, and it was like early 80, early 90s, <laughs> and the only way to teach yourself coding was to buy books and magazines. There was no internet, right? Yeah, like, it, yeah. I read books, and then at, at night I was stuck, and I couldn't solve it out. And then on Wednesdays, I went to computer club and asked other people, and hopefully found somebody who knew the answer. That was, you know, the early days of, of learning to code. I tried, you know, using YouTube, and I can't even get it. You guys are geniuses. But these trends in coding, I've noticed, have really evolved over the years. What stands out for you when it comes to the evolution of coding. Yeah, I think you know what actually stands out is that we have always gone through another evolu- evolution, right? If you think back how computers have started and there were punch cards with little holes mm. in them that were used to program a computer, you know, and that was obviously very frustrating uh, because if you made a mistake, you had to do it all over again and you you know or or, or, or you know uh, uh, um, sticker over the hole. And then we had assembly language like machine code, and finally we had programming languages like um, um, and basic, and, uh, and, and, and then the, the world evolved into more modern languages, like now we have Python and, and Ruby and all these cool names. Rust is very popular now. And then came a second wave with the internet, right? Because all of a sudden, as a developer, you could connect with other developers around the world. Um, it didn't really matter, and it still doesn't matter where other developers are. You know, in a way, software development is the last largest team sport on earth where millions of developers work together in the interconnected community of open source. And of course, open source has unlocked so much global growth, you know, yeah. so much growth of our economy. And Singapore early on has embraced open source. Mm. And now, you know, it's the third wave and that is artificial intelligence. Mm. Actually, I like how you describe it as it's a bit of a team sport. And if you look at a team sport, everyone's got their own specialized skills. I mean, what would your advice be for anyone who's looking for a mid-career switch or looking to enter this industry? What are some of the must-have skills? What are some of the, the best coding languages to learn right now to give yourself a fighting chance in this industry? Yeah, you know, if, I think, you know, if you look at the just the last, you know, two years with the pandemic and all, it's really clear that software is dominating our life. And uh, the Internet is a fundamental part piece of that, right? Like almost all the apps on your cell phone and your computer somehow connect to the Internet, whether it's the browser uh, or whether it's an app, you know, that stores data, all your data is synced, you know, magically through the cloud. So looking at cloud technologies or what we call cloud native technologies is probably a good starting point uh, for any, you know, wannabe developer or any current developer. Things like Docker containers and Kubernetes um, languages. Um, in our recent Octoverse report, we saw languages to describe infrastructure as code. Um, it's called HCL. Uh, you can look it up uh, on the rise. Or Rust is, a, is another language that basically brings uh, C and C++ into the modern age, avoiding uh, security um, um, and vulnerabilities. And Python uh, obviously is a very popular language now that we yeah. talk so much about AI and ML. Mm. But, you know, we're also having a bit of a tech winter. I mean, what are your thoughts on Singaporeans, you know, equipping themselves with the right digital skills? What would your approach be to dealing with this tech winter right now? I think, you know, my my approach would be, A, um, keep embracing open source. You know, Ah. Singapore has always embraced open source. Open source will continue to be fundamental to the software industry. Um, If you look at, you know, um, any company today built on top of open source, whether it's an open source programming language, whether it's an open source compiler, most of our operating systems are open 
open source and even those that aren't open source like windows have open source components in them and and then you know almost all companies and startups when they start a new project they start with open source they mm -hmm. start pulling out in you know a thousand of open source packages uh, a very common one is react that's a you know a language a, a framework to, to describe uh, how web pages look so you don't have to reinvent a button and you know a, a list and a table and all these things you just you know pull in the react library and that actually pulls in a thousand other components and it gives you a great starting point to build on top of that so you don't have to reinvent the wheel mm. right if you wanted to become a car developer what you wouldn't do is you know build rubber and build wheels and and build axles no no you focus on the software and the car and the battery the things that generate value for your company so i'd say you know build on top of open source embrace open source if you're new to the software industry you know create a github profile engage with other people don't fear you know that you do mis mistakes many software developers are really nice people and they will tell you how you can engage with them and how you can you know become a contributor to an open source project that's it's a very key word that you mentioned contributor right you want to yeah. invent yourself as a value-added proposition thomas this is a personal curious question i came across this phrase developer happiness have you heard of this what exactly does it mean why is it so important yeah, yeah, I've definitely heard of it. I have used it before. I think it's actually fundamentally important to us as humans to be happy because if you're not happy, you're not a good, you're not creative mm -hmm. and you're not able to create things if you're in a bad mood, if you're grumpy, you know, if you're, if you're sad, that's usually not the time when you're, when you're able to create value, when you create projects, when you create software. And the other piece of this is that, you know, there's only so much time in the day when you actually are creative, right? You can do menial tasks like emails or emptying the dishwasher. You can do that when you're tired, but to be at your best, to be able to, you know, create a new feature for your software or invent a new application, you need to be happy, you need to be creative. And so we as, you know, software development company, we as GitHub need to make sure that our developers that work for GitHub and our customers that use GitHub are happy because we truly believe happiness is the thing that unlocks creativity. Mm, that is so true. There's so many industries now where this creative element is so important. It's not like what it used to be. Thomas, I know you've been dying to talk about this artificial intelligence. <laughs> yes. The robots are taking over. No, not really. It's now, the conversation now runs around AI pair and how that can fundamentally change the nature of software development. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, artificial intelligence or AI or ML, machine learning models are all over social media. You might have seen last week um, uh, OpenAI published the ChatGPT model uh, that allows you to ask questions and engage with it, and it suggests to you all kinds of things. It can write emails for you, uh, but more importantly, it can also explain programming problems to you, and it can kind of like help you. It's almost like a tutor that teaches you how to program. And so at GitHub, um, um, we a year ago, uh, launched a new product called GitHub Copilot, and it's a, an AI pair programmer. And in, in coding, we have this notion of you're coding with somebody else, that's your pair programmer, okay. because, you know, two sets of eyes uh, do see more, and you can kind of like, you know, vibe off each other, have a, you know, sounding board, if you will, um, somebody that kind of tells you, oh, this, you're making a mistake here, or this is the best practice. So instead of always having a human on your side, you have an AI pair programmer on your side. And it's a machine learning model that was trained on open source code and when you type code in your editor it suggests code to you basically it predicts what you want to type next but not only a few words it can actually suggest you know multiple lines of code whole methods 
complex algorithms like you know sorting algorithms or connecting to the Twitter API and test cases and all kinds of stuff. So it's it's mind blowingly. Uh, how how quickly you know even though it's early days for AI these models can now help professionals to do their job. Why didn't I have this while I was taking my law exam? It could have been so useful. <laughs> but doesn't that raise the question on the future of coding? When you've got an AI pair, that's a machine learning software. That thing is evolving. Where does the relevance of the human lie? Could it become smarter than a human? Or am I imagining too much? I think you know. For now, at least, you're imagining too much. You know, imagination <laughs> should be imagination should be broad, and you should uh, you know have, have, have big dreams. And I think we should all you know be optimistic about the future. But no, I think you know today those models are true assistants. You know, and and they're actually you know the natural succession of what I described earlier, uh, how we went through those phases. You know, we went to programming languages, and of course, the fear back then was that those people that had very specialized skills of CPUs and machines, how those machines work behind the scenes would lose their job. You know, when the internet came in open source, I remember, you know, starting my first job and open source was this thing that uh, we are not allowed to touch because of all the risks that would come with it and all the, the fear that, that now the open source developers would take away the intellectual property, uh, you know, of, of, of commercial yeah. companies. And yeah. so AI is a true helper tool. It's not taking away uh, the human. And the human is the creator, you know. Um, the, the, the way I like to describe this is you, you can have a self-driving car, but you still have to tell the car where you want to go. The car cannot read your mind and you're still the, the operator, the pure person that instructs the machine where you want to go with this. And so I don't think AI is going to replace the human. AI is going to empower us. AI is basically becoming our second brain that makes us even more smarter than we already have become in the last, you know, 40,000 years. Mm. We have to look at this as while you have an open source that's constantly evolving, no matter what, and even from a legal standpoint, the source code is still the human being. It still comes from that point. Correct. Yeah, correct. At the end of the day, you know, you have an assistant that helps you to mm. compose whatever you want to compose. And it actually, you know, and, and creates a new creative flow because you're not only typing something, you're also interacting with the AI that suggests something to you. Well, you can only decide whether that's good or bad by actually reading it. Mm. So instead of just you know, re writing on your own, you actually go getting into more of a reflection flow where you write something and then the AI suggests something to you, you review it, you decide whether this is what you wanted or not. And if you don't want it, well, you can just keep typing what you were typing on. You don't have to accept it by the tab key. And uh, until you get to the point where either the suggestion is good enough or you've written it all yourself. And the, the, you know, the bouncing back with the AI actually helped you to, to um, you know, write down your thoughts. It's, it's a really good tool, uh, trying out an AI assistant to, to learn more about self-reflection and you know, visualizing your thoughts in code or you know, with some of these image models you may have seen, uh, something called stable diffusion or mid-journey through the summer that can render images that look like artists have drawn them. You know, my, my joke is always you can ask the, the model to draw Singapore as <laughs> if you were the French painter Monet. Mm. And now Monet, as far as I know, has never been to Singapore, but even if he had been here, he wouldn't have seen the skyline as it is today. Uh, but it looks like a Monet painting, right? It looks yeah. like a Monet painting, and that shows you how powerful those generative models are, but you have to give it the trigger, and you have to work with this to, to create something truly unique. It is quite fascinating, and do pardon me, I watch a lot of sci-fi movies, and you know what? <laughs> An AI is probably going to help write one of those movies in the future. I've been speaking with Thomas Domke, who is the CEO of GitHub. Thomas, I appreciate your time this morning. Take care and have a great day. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg.
or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.